0: As we pick up the narrative this morning from the book of 2 Kings, Israel is in a time of transition. Elijah is about to be taken off the scene. In the passage before us, we see God readying, equipping, and enabling Elisha to be Elijah's successor in ministry. This morning, we want to see God at work in the life of Elijah to take over after Elijah's death. The story opens with the recognition that it was time that God was going to take Elijah up to heaven. Everyone in our text was aware that Elijah was going to be taken away that very day. First, we as readers are made aware. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse one, it begins with saying, now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. That's the introduction. That is to be at the forefront of our thinking as we contemplate this story. That's what it's about. The Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven in a whirlwind. Don't miss it. Then we find out that the seminary students were aware that Elijah was going to be taken away that day. The seminary students at Bethel were aware. Verse 3, And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? The seminary students at Jericho were aware. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 5. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? Elisha is aware that Elijah was going to be taken away that day. In verse 3, the reply of Elisha to the question is, Yes, I know it. Verse 5, again, the reply to the question, do you know today that the Lord will take your master away from you? He answered, yes, I know. Elijah himself was aware that he would be taken away that day. Verse 9, when they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I will do for you before I have been taken from you. Everyone in this text is aware that this was Elijah's last day on earth. There are always things in the text that we'd like to know that are not revealed to us. For example, how did all these individuals know that that was the very day? God must have somehow revealed it to each of these individuals, although it doesn't tell us how or when it was revealed. The issue is not how did they know that Elijah would be taken away. The issue is that they did know. They did know. They all knew it. So the focal point is what their response would be. What would be their behavior? What would they do in light of the knowledge that that very day Elijah would be taken from them? How are these individuals going to conduct themselves? How are they going to react? So next we consider the interaction that takes place among these individuals as a result of Elijah's death. Well, first we look at Elisha's response to the seminary students when they asked whether or not Elisha was aware that their master would be taken away from him that day. His response is, in verse 3, yes, I know it. And then he says this, keep quiet. Again, in verse 5, the very same response this time to the seminary students who were at Jericho. They asked the question, do you know that today the Lord will take away from your master over you? He answered, yes, I know it. And now this exhortation, keep quiet. Keep quiet. What does that mean? Well, Elisha is not saying, shh, don't tell anybody. It's a secret. It's no secret. Everybody knows that, that uh, Elijah is going to be taken up into heaven, including Elijah. So they're not trying to keep this from anyone. Rather, Elisha is saying, stay cool. It's okay. Settle down. Don't worry about it. Or this phrase, keep quiet, notice how the other translations translate it. The King James says, excuse me, New American Standard says, be still. King James translates it, hold your peace. This Hebrew word is used of being quiet in the sense of calming a storm. In Psalm 107, verse 29, it reads, He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. So his response to these seminary students was, be still. It's okay. Don't get overwrought. Don't get excited. (laughs) Everything's under control. It would seem as though these seminary students were somewhat disturbed or upset by the thought of Elijah being taken away that day. But
1: Elisha says, It's okay. It's okay. I know. I know. God's got this. Secondly,
0: Elijah repeatedly encouraged Elisha to not trouble himself in continuing to follow Elijah. Verse 2, and Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Verse 4. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. So, three times we have this interaction of Elijah saying to Elisha, Stay here, because I have to go to another place. Stay here. I've got to go to still another place. Stay here. I still have to go to another place. So what's going on here? It's important for us to realize that this was not a command that Elisha was violating. Elijah was not commanding him to stay, and as such, in his refusal to stay, Elisha is not sinning, he's not doing anything wrong, nor are we to understand that Elijah was unappreciative of Elisha's company. It's not as though Elijah is trying to get rid of Elisha, and doesn't want him to accompany him. So, what do we to understand about Elijah's request for Elisha to stay? Well, many have seen this response as a test—a test as to whether Elisha would be faithful to God and to Elijah. What would Elijah? Excuse me. What would Elisha do? As a response to what Elijah said, would he stay or would he go? In one sense, this indeed is a test of Elisha's faithfulness to God and to Elijah, to be sure, as we're going to see in a few moments. However, I don't think that that's what motivated Elijah. I don't think that was, excuse me, Elijah, I don't think that was his design when he originally said, stay here. Rather, I think that Elijah was showing compassion for Elisha. I think that Elijah wanted to spare Elisha from the emotional unpleasantness of the departure, the going away that was about to place. But we will see that the witnessing of Elijah's departure will in fact not be a hardship, but actually a great blessing. It will be a benefit that he would have been able to see this departure of Elijah. So my first application this morning is that some of the things that we would like to shield others from are in fact a blessing, and not a hardship. There are many things that we would like to spare our children or our loved ones from, things that we would see as being a difficulty, a misery, a heartache, when in actuality it is a, a blessing. My own mother died on Christmas Day. It was a wonderful time She was uh, very, very, very weak, but the whole family had been able to gather for Christmas, including her sisters, all the relatives had come. She was extremely weak. One by one, people would go into her bedroom, she was bedridden, and uh, be able to speak and convey their their thoughts to her. At uh, around six o'clock, she announced that she was extremely tired and everybody went home. I had just gotten home when I received a phone call and said, uh, you better come back from my dad saying, your, your mother's failing quickly. And right after I, I got home, back to my parents' house, my mother
1: entered into the presence of the Lord. It was a blessing to have been there. It was wonderful to have witnessed Remember, a hospice worker came and
0: said, uh, you know, she got there about a quarter of 12, and she said, uh, I'm not going to write that your mother died at uh, 11.45. I'm going to make it 12.30. She said, nobody should die on Christmas.
1: I said, make it 11.45. There's no better day and to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus,
0: and to think that he came into the world in order to save a people. My mother's
1: in the presence of God this day. It's a joy, not a sorrow. It was a blessing that Elisha would see the departure
0: of Elijah, not something to be spared from. Next, we have the repeated response of Elisha, that he would not leave Elijah. Notice his response when Elijah asked him to stay. Verse 2, middle of the verse. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Again, the same words in verse 4, middle of the verse. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Again, in verse 6, middle of the verse. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Three times the exact same words. Elisha sees his staying by the side of Elijah as part of his God-given duty. I believe that's what's being communicated in these words as the Lord lives. As the Lord lives. As the Lord lives. God had called Elisha to assist Elijah, to accompany him. And Elijah had done just that. And so he was going to fulfill his God-given duty and responsibility that had been entrusted to his care. And then secondly, Elisha sees his staying by the side of Elijah as part of his duty to Elijah as a son to a father. For it says in verse two, Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and now these words, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Verse 4, As the Lord lives, and you as yourself live, I will not leave you. Verse 6, As the Lord lives, and as you li- yourself live, I will not leave you. Note how Elisha refers to Elijah as his father in verse 12. And Elisha saw it. That is this being carried up into the heavens in a whirlwind by this fiery chariot and the fiery horses. His response is, my father, my father. This was the relationship that Elijah and Elisha shared. Elijah appreciated Elisha's staying by his side as evidenced in Elijah's asking Elisha what it was that Elijah could do for him, verse 9. And when they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. There was this appreciation. Again, not the idea that this, he was a nuisance. He was thankful that Elisha was with him. And he said, what can I do for you? How can I repay you? What benefit can I give you? Now I want to make some observations that I think are significant background to understand really what's going on in this text. For this father-son relationship of Elijah and Elisha is paramount
1: to understanding this passage. That relationship starts as a relationship that was to exist
0: among the prophets. A very important element in the training of the prophets was the relationship of the younger prophets to the older prophets. That relationship was more than that of a teacher-student relationship. It was more than an apprenticeship. Where an apprentice learns under a more experienced individual. It was a relationship more like that of a father and a son who is preparing his son to take over the family business. It's this personal involvement and and daily interaction to ready
1: the son to take over responsibilities of the father.
0: Note the father-son relationship as it's referred to in verses 3 and 5. In order to make it somewhat culturally relevant, I use the term seminary students, but notice in verse 3 what they're referred to as the sons of the prophets. And in verse 5, sons of the prophets. That's, that's what they were called. Or this relationship of training was akin to a father-son relationship. We see that throughout the Old Testament, but it's not just the Old Testament. It's carried over into the New Testament as well. Or if you remember, Paul refers to Titus as his son. Paul refers to Timothy as his beloved son. Timothy was not Paul's biological son. Nor was he Paul's son in the sense that Paul led him to the Lord, for Timothy is saved when Paul learns and comes to know of Timothy. Timothy was Paul's son in the way that he served under Paul in the ministry. Listen to Philippians 2.22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, he writes to the Philippians, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. In the New Testament, it was a very important way of an individual proving themselves worthy, proving themselves as ready to carry on the work. He says, you know Timothy's proven worth how he served with me as a father. In 2 Timothy, Paul's about to die. And he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse seven, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. He writes to Timothy saying, I'm about to die. So Paul is encouraging Timothy and reminds Timothy of the duties, the privileges, and the blessings that are associated with following him in this ministry. And he stresses to Timothy what Timothy has learned. Listen to the words of 2 Timothy 3,
1: verse 10. He says, Yet, however, you have followed my teaching,
0: that word follow isn't just that he adopted, but, but he was there. He, he was present. He absorbed.
1: He said, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my purpose,
0: my goals, my aim in life, my faith, my patience,
1: my love, my steadfastness. You have seen it all and you have embraced that.
0: From the very beginning of my ministry, I've had a great concern for helping individuals who are preparing for ministry. Over the years, I've been involved with both Lancaster Bible College and what was then Biblical Seminary in order to be influential in preparing young people for ministry. With respect to Lancaster Bible College I served on their advisory committee when they were seeking to establish either a graduate school or seminary, of which they now have both. But more notably, I've been very involved with biblical seminary over the years. I joined the board of the seminary. I chaired the academic committee, which, among other things, evaluated and established the curriculum for the various degree programs of the seminary. I was an adjunct faculty member for a period of time, and I eventually became the board chair of the seminary during its time of transition. All of that out of a desire to be influential in the lives of those preparing for ministry. For approximately 20 years, I chaired the ministerial candidate committee of the denomination, which oversees those individuals who are coming into the Bible Fellowship Church to serve as pastors. I conducted the seminars. I, I taught the theological implications of pastoring in the Bible Fellowship Church. However, there is much more to preparation than just academic training. It's one of the major reasons that I desired to stay in the pastorate and not to enter into to teaching. I believe that the experience that is gained through the relationship of serving alongside someone in ministry as a father-son relationship is incredibly valuable. I can't express strongly enough how I think that this father-son relationship
1: of being trained in ministry is still very important today. I personally gained great benefit from serving under Pastor Hartman.
0: In the very beginning of my ministry, I learned so much from him and wanted to pass that on to my others. My throne ministry has always been to raise up young men who would serve the Lord in the pastorate. Years ago, I prayed that God would raise up young men that he would call into the ministry that I could help develop. I've been delighted with the opportunity to have relationships like that with young men on our staff over the years. Presently, Pastor Cruz, and now... Most recently, Pastor Herb has been a part of our pastoral staff. Pastor Cruz has been on the staff for six years. and I'm delighted how he has adopted many of the same values, the aims, if you will, that I've had in the ministry over the years. His work ethic, expository preaching, and training up others for service. Most notably, it's been a joy to see Pastor Cruz have the same heart in preparing others for ministry. He's done a terrific job in preparing young people to lead Bible studies. He's also been very influential to help two of our young men who are presently in college preparing to be pastors. He's had a great influence upon them and continues to encourage them. I'm delighted to see that aspect of the ministry being passed on in my absence. So we want to go back to this pastor, this father-son relationship between Elijah and Elisha. Look at the request on the part of Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. When they had crossed over, That's the Jordan. Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I will do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. So what do we to think about that request? It was a very good request. It was a very good request because it came at the solicitation of Elijah. Elijah said to him, ask what you want before I am taken from you. It was a good request because it was a spiritual request. Elisha did not crave Elijah's parchments, staff, or even his renown. What Elisha wanted was not material, but spiritual. It was a good request because God granted it. God gave him what he requested. The response of Elijah to Elisha's request was, that it was not a request that Elijah could grant. Only God could grant that request, verse 10. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. It wasn't hard for God, it was hard for Elijah. This wasn't something that Elijah could give. This is something only God could give, a double portion of that spirit that rested upon Elijah And so, Elijah says to Elisha, God is going to give it to you, and the way you'll know that God is going to give this to you is if you see me being taken from you, then it will be so, verse 10. And it was granted that Elisha saw Elijah being taken up from him. Notice verses 11 and 12. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Verse 12, and the key words are, and Elisha saw it. And Elisha saw it. That is, the condition was met. He would receive a double portion of the spirit that God had given to Elijah. So what exactly was that request when he said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me? Of what does that request consist? What is Elisha asking for when he asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit? Elijah's spirit does not refer to Elijah's temperament or disposition. but Rather, it's the spirit of God that was at work in Elijah. He wanted a spiritual inheritance from Elijah. He wanted the Holy Spirit to be active in his own life and ministry in twice the degree that the Spirit was active in the life and ministry of Elijah. The double portion was a reference to the inheritance that one would receive as the firstborn son. We've been stressing that Elisha is like a son to Elijah. He was like the firstborn son. He had a relationship that was different than that of the sons of the prophets. The sons of the prophets had a relationship to Elijah, but Elisha's relationship was much more intimate. He was with Elijah constantly, day out and day in. And we read later in 2 Kings that Elijah would wash the hands of Elijah, that intimate, personal relationship. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, verse 17, we read that the firstborn, the son of the beloved, should receive a double portion of all that he has, for he is the firstborn of his strength. So the firstborn would receive a double portion, a a double inheritance. So what Elijah is asking is that that he would be uniquely gifted and equipped by the Spirit of God in a way in which the other prophets were not, not in a way of self-enggrandizement, but in a desire for this greater intimacy and an opportunity to serve the Lord. He'd already been entrusted with Elijah's mantle back when he was first called. He knew that he was to be Elijah's successor, but it was not enough to have Elijah's position. He wanted this double portion. And there's been a lot of speculation about what that double portion is. Commentators may note that Elijah's ministry appears to be about twice as long as that of Elijah's ministry. Others have pointed out that there are eight recorded miracles that Elijah performed, 16 reported miracles that Elisha performs. So some have understood the double portion in that light. So let us look at this request that is granted in a little more detailed way. Verse 11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of, the, of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Note the text emphasizes that Elisha saw it, verse 12, and Elisha saw it. That's key to this double portion. If you see it, then, then you'll receive it. As a result... Elisha is able to do what Elijah had done by the power of God. Namely, verses 13 and 14, he took up the cloak of Elijah that had been taken from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted on the one side and into the other and Elisha went over, just like his predecessor had done, Elijah. Walking through the water of the Jordan should remind us of the children of Israel marching through the Jordan under Joshua. And remember, Joshua was the successor to Moses, who had led the children of Israel through the Red Sea. This succession is a major element of this portion of Scripture. But I think that there's much more to the story than simply that. For key to the story is seeing Elijah being taken up. For it is not just that he saw Elijah taken up, but we are to see this aspect of Elijah taken up. For notice verse 11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, behold, stop, think, consider, look at this. Look at what Elisha saw. Behold, this is what he saw,
1: chariots of fire and horses of fire that separated the two of them.
0: The word behold draws attention to what he saw, namely the chariots of fire and the fiery horses. The fire has great significance here, and if we just quickly trace the fire through the Old Testament, you remember that Moses saw the fire of God in the burning bush, a symbol of God's holiness, Exodus 3, 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet not consumed When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So God revealed himself as the holy God to Moses by fire. The children of Israel saw the fire of God as a pillory fire at night to lead them in their wilderness wanderings, a symbol of God's presence, his guidance, his protection, Exodus 13, 21, and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and night. The children of Israel saw the fire of God as judgment on Mount Carmel when the fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. And then just last week, we saw how the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed the soldiers that were seeking to arrest Elijah, demonstrating God's power
1: and authority over the soldiers and ultimately Ahaziah. But today, this instance the fire reveals something that Israel hadn't seen before. That is God's gracious deliverance in death. God's mercy and compassion on his own. And this, this fiery
0: Manifestation of God's presence that in the past brought judgment. Now brings salvation and deliverance as he's taken up into heaven. He sees
1: the magnificent grace, goodness, and forgiveness of God. And that opportunity to see The
0: living example of God's grace and goodness is what I think
1: is at the heart of this double portion of the Spirit of God. He's allowed to see what
0: others had not been able to see before. Elisha had so many blessings Elisha was able to be with Elijah for such a long part of his ministry where it appears that Elijah did not have that kind of benefit. We're introduced by Elijah, he just comes out of the blue. But not Elisha, not Elisha.
1: Elisha learned of God's love, power, and care for God's own. Conclusion. What are we
0: to... Glean from this passage? Well, three things, I think. First, what we're to see is what a blessing it was for Elisha to be alongside of Elijah in both his life and death. A blessing that arguably Elijah did not have. He did not get to witness such things in his own life. but Elisha did. Elisha did. Second, we're to see what a blessing it was for Elijah to have Elisha to encourage him and help him in ministry. Remember, it was when Elijah was depressed. Remember he, he, after the Mount Carmel experience, and Jezebel threatened his life, that Elijah became depressed, ran to the Mount, and requested that he would die.
1: Remember that? And in that request, he said, I and I alone am left to serve you. God, in his grace, told him that there were 3,000 that hadn't bowed their knee to Baal.
0: But beyond that, he gave Elijah Elisha. Here. Here is someone else who hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. Here is someone else.
1: The encouragement was that. The work is going to go on. When Elijah dies, God
0: doesn't stop working. When Elijah dies, the hope of Israel doesn't die with him. There's Elisha, who God has been preparing, who
1: God has been equipping, who God has been raising up. What a difference in Elijah's life From the despair on the top, or
0: excuse me, in that Mount Carmel experience when he's requesting to die,
1: to now this experience of being caught up by God, by this chariot of fire and the horses of fire. What a transition in his character, in his spiritual understanding. This love and concern that he learned about God partially through this devoted son that he had given to
0: Elijah to walk with him. And Elisha stayed with him. Though repeatedly, Elijah was trying to spare him. No, no, I will not leave you. As the Lord lives, as you live, I'm going to be with you. God's grace, God's mercy, God's compassion. Lastly, we're to see both the value and the necessity of the Holy Spirit for the equipping and enabling of ministry. So often, as we think about what it takes to minister, it is gifts that are valued, it's education that is valued, All of those are necessary. All those are important, but all the benefits, all the gifts, and all the education
1: without the Spirit's enablement is for naught. It's really what the Spirit of God does in the life of an individual and in the ministry. What we need to pray for is people with double of that spirit. People who are longing for God to use them.
0: And for us to recognize that by
1: far that is the most important question. What is God doing in the life of an individual? And what is that individual doing in relationship to seeking God's favor and God's blessing. Next week, we will look at the response
0: that people have to the calling of Elisha. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us. Help us, we pray. Lord, uh, we are in a portion of Scripture that teaches us the significance of a successor. Lord, we certainly are in a position where everyone knows that I am soon passing off the scene. It's not a surprise to anyone here. We all know it. We all know it. Most importantly, you know it. And you're at work, and we pray for your will to be accomplished and your will to be done. And we pray, Lord, for that individual who will follow,
1: that they would have a double portion of the Spirit of God. Use them mightily. My heart's yearning is that, Lord, this work goes forward in power and strength. And you'd be pleased to continue to raise up individuals who prepare for ministry and for service. Lord, we want your blessing. And so, Lord, we plead, we plead for an outpouring of your Spirit, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.